Pot. It is your part documentary, part roundtable podcast with just a sprinkling of competition. I'm your host, Ellie, and every week me and my best friend, Chelsea, compete to be more interesting and tell each other wild and wonderful stories from around the world that make you go, what? <laughs> what? Welcome, Chelsea. Yeah, I have that an is idea. me. Oh God, tell me. And I think that we should do a new segment on the podcast <gasps> because I feel like the fact bang has, uh-huh. rightfully so, it's assimilated itself into the system of the show. Yes, as it should. It's less of a formal segment. And so I would like to propose, and I think okay. you're going to really like this, <laughs> Ellie and Chelsea's post of the week, where we just get to talk about our number one favorite dumb internet thing that happened from the past oh, week. Oh, damn. And the I amount think of these you... I have. <laughs> and for me, it's a toss-up, okay? Okay. This week is a toss-up between the legendary Anka Jams. Uncle John's. <laughs> Which, if you haven't seen it, Julia Fox is on an interview where she's asked if she's Kanye's muse. Well, hold on, response... hold on, hold on, hold on, Eleanor. Let's yeah. back up. Why don't you okay. let the people at home, why don't you paint like a word picture about like, who is Julia Fox? I don't know. Uncle Gems wasn't my favorite movie. Wait, but I don't know. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I just know her as the lady that says Anka Jams and she was Anna in Anka Jams. Yeah, she was in Anka Jams. She was You tell me. Well, that was like her first big role. So I mean, she's not strictly speaking wrong when she says, spoiler alert, I was Josh Softy's muse when he wrote Anka Jams. But <laughs> honestly, more than that, Adam Sandler was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Anka Jams. But so she can like calm down. But like basically he found her and she was kind of like a, you know, a known hottie. And then he was like, mm-hmm. be in this movie. And she's great. And I loved her in Anka Jams. And <laughs> it and then, you know, she got into to like what was maybe one of the most obvious PR relationships I think I've ever seen in my life uh, yeah. of her and Kanye West. You know, I, I'm pretty sure to kind of like raise her profile because she hasn't really had like a substantial role since Uncut Gems. Through no fault of her own, she really was in like the last great movie to come out right before COVID. So it's not like yeah. we've been making a lot of movies anyway. <laughs> but so that is who she is. And then so nobody had thought of her. If you're like me, you thought of her fondly when you thought of Uncut Gems and then you never thought about her again until she showed up to start hanging out with Kanye West while he was in the middle of his mental breakdown that nobody who was close to him is seeming to do anything about which is really sad yeah and then yeah and then she started to like do this huge huge press blitz and everyone's like wait i don't know her as you kind of pointed out who is this and why do i have to suddenly know everything about her which people don't like and then you know when you kind of force them i guess to be interested in somebody yeah and then that leads to the infamous podcast interview in which as you were about to point out she was asked (laughs) she was asked if she thinks that she's Kanye's muse and she said yeah yeah of course well, kind of <laughs> well kind of and then the interviewer says well, like, what is like what is a muse what is a muse and she says in response well <laughs> I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncut Gems except she says it like this well <laughs> I mean I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncut Gems <laughs> so like things like that <laughs> Uncut Gems the way she says she like unhinges her jaw for a second like a little snake and and the word lasts forever and uh, rightfully so the internet jumped on it immediately and it has become the word of the weekend Uncle Jams Uncle Jams the second contender for my post of the week oh fuck is Mario the idea versus Mario the man oh, the excerpt the excerpt oh, of an essay <laughs> oh, <wait>. of an <laughs> 
If I accept of an essay that was posted to Twitter that ruined me and then also Chelsea. If I say this was my favorite, can we do like a dramatic reading where you read the essay and I'll read what the teacher wrote on the essay? Yes. Oh my God, and yes. I have it up already. Of course you do. Uh, let so me this just guy, quickly pull this it up g- while this, you do this. The comment under this post said, I'm really regretting going back to school. And then <laughs> when you look at the you look at the beginning of this essay that he's posted, it is for Philosophy 101, a midterm paper. (laughs) And it is entitled Mario, the idea versus Mario the man. The second thing you need to know about this essay is that uh, it is just covered in red marks from the professor. It has a giant F. Yeah, it has a giant F at the circled. They really wanted him to know he had had shit the bed on this one. You have fucked up now. (laughs) You have fucked up now. Okay, so... (laughs) You ready? So we're going to do a reading. Ellie's going to read the printed text of the essay. And then whenever there is like a note from the professor, I'm going to come in and read that note. Okay, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Mario the idea versus Mario the man. Everyone knows Mario is cool as fuck. Horrible opening. But who knows what he's thinking? Who knows why he crushes turtles? To save the princess? Also gross. And why do we think about him as fondly as we think of the mythical non-existent Dr. Pepper? This just has three question marks. Perchance. You can't just say perchance. (laughs) I believe... We're going to want to go ahead and cut out that I believe. It was Kant who said, experience without theory is blind, but theory without experience is mere intellectual play. Mario exhibits experience by crushing turts. Stop. All day. But he exhibits theory by stating, let's go. Keep it up, baby. Again, now we have simply six question marks. When Mario leaves his place of study to stomp a turdy. Now we're going to go ahead and cross that one out. It's just not acceptable. (laughs) He knows that he may die. Okay. And yet for a man who can purchase lives with money a life becomes a mere store of value a tax that can be paid for much as a rich man feels any law with a fine is a price fine we think of mario as a hero but he is simply a one percenter why are we saying this of a more privileged variety the life kind perchance and then the per chance is crossed out. So you can't good. just say per chance. You can't just say per chance. Uh, so that's my post of the week. That's and so good. Chelsea's post of the week. I do Perhaps think a I'm... a new segment if you enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. Let us know. In, I guess via social media. Or join yeah. our Patreon and then you can tell us in the exclusive Patreon Discord. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty plug. cool. What I love so much about this post and why I decided to choose it as my post of the week <laughs> is because um, actually... Uh, a friend of mine who will be on our next episode next week, which if you're a patron, you will hear us record in like a couple hours. Yeah, very soon. So soon. Uh, she and I were discussing this morning, like, what is the catchphrase you say to yourself when you're like in the middle of like acute men TB? Uh-huh. So, mm-hmm. so like for me, when I'm like completely like overwhelmed and stressed and I'm like trying to stop myself from crying, I will just say, that's showbiz, baby. Uh, <laughs> 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 Perfect. <laughs> my, which uh, works even less now that like I work more than I ever have before. I guess adjacent to like in showbiz, actual showbiz, because then my boss will be like, "Hey, did you figure out that really important thing that's going to cost us like lots and lots of money?" And then I'm like, "No, but that's showbiz, baby." And he's like, "That's really flippant." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that is in fact showbiz yes so i need a new one uh and i'm thinking it might be perchance like i'll be like no but you know perchance 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 we'll figure it say, out <laughs> you're gonna say let's go keep it up baby keep it up baby keep it up baby is also really good but you know keep it up baby you can't just say perchance is also just it's very it's good very a strong. very good reaction to anyone doing anything wrong <laughs> Um, so that is what I brought in lieu of a fact bang. Do you have a fact bang? Um, I do not. I have, I have instead just a deep desire to discuss what we did this weekend. Okay. Go for it. Oh, oh. So I guess it's just going to be all on me. Okay. That's interesting. I wasn't prepared. Uh, I wasn't prepared for this. No, I'm just kidding. Well, you know what? We're in a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so we were, we were out celebrating something that I don't know if we're allowed to talk about, about somebody whose name rhymes with like Biles Puna. <laughs> oh. Did he post on Twitter? I, I he don't did. Remember. I think oh, he okay. did. Yeah. Okay. So Miles got like a cool new job that he's very excited about. A long time coming. Um, we're super excited for him. So we went out on Tuesday night to celebrate, you know, and we were like, I don't know, two or three tequila sodas in sure, when, sure. My, when Miles was like, hey, uh, every year my whole family goes to Galveston and does uh, Mardi Gras stuff. Would you guys be interested in going? We don't have to stay with my family. And I was like, you had me at, we don't have to stay with my family. <laughs> not that I, not that I have anything against Miles's family who are some of the sweetest people I think I've ever met in my life. Uh, including that all the is ones. That a game changer. It really? Yeah. Including all the ones that I met over this past weekend. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm a trash person and I don't need to subject other people's family to that. And so <laughs> they, uh, you and Miles, like, honestly, in a way that I was like, okay, I'm feeling just like how like spur of the moment this is. You were like, do y'all want to go to Mardi Gras and like we'll just get like an Airbnb like for one night we'll wake up at 5am I was like you're speaking my language this is how like every summer vacation was with my dad as a child <laughs> mm-hmm. we had to sleep in our jeans so we could get up oh, no. at like 5am and get in the car and I could feel that like simpatico with Miles when he was like we're gonna wake 5am I'm gonna drive us there we're gonna get there at 10 um, <laughs> and we did it and it was so fun it was very fun tell me like what you thought about Galveston Mardi Gras oh yeah because we didn't go to Mardi Gras proper Mardi Gras prime in New Orleans as I like to call it yes uh three years ago uh just before the vid yeah i think so it must have been 2019 yeah 2019 yeah obviously like the new orleans is so awesome mm-hmm. uh it is a assault to all the senses at all times yes and so it was kind of nice being at a more of a chill mardi gras but you still have like the fun and the silliness and the costumes and the beads yeah you still get you got, them like, throws you, yeah exactly that's um, true although i will actually say there's definitely more like crazier beads in new orleans so yes that is that true. That was something I missed. Yeah. And also everything had a cover charge and that was irritating, but that was annoying. we had so much fun. What was that like bar that had karaoke in the back that we went oh, to? Oh, Buckshot. I would like to go oh, back yeah. there. That so, was very fun. a longtime friend of the pod, Celia, has a birthday coming up and she's turning 24. So she wants to have, and this is like developed over time, 24 colon Emerge Mansion Mystery themed birthday in Galveston <laughs> where it is themed like the TV show 24, but the mystery wow. that they are solving is the mystery that is in the game Merge Mansion with like the grandma. So that's wow. the theme. I don't know, but it is on me to figure it out. <laughs> and I did already tell her that show's violently racist. She hasn't seen it because she's 
turning 24. So she uh-huh. didn't know about it. And I was like, I was like, okay, so this the premise of this show is that Kiefer Sutherland has to torture Arab people in real time. And every episode of the season is one hour in real time of one day. That's why it's called 24. 24 hours Whoa. in a day. And she's like, holy shit, like we're gonna do stuff every every hour for 24 hours. And I was like, I don't know about that. But then <laughs> this weekend that we just had made me realize maybe I can because what happened was I worked all day on Friday. Then I went to the grocery store. Then I came over to y'all's house. Uh, mm-hmm. Connor and I cooked you and Miles dinner to celebrate your engagement, which is something that we said we were going to do back when you got engaged, but you weren't, you were out of country. So we waited, uh-huh. obviously, you know, we're clever like that. And uh, <laughs> smart. We're smart. So we waited. We had an oops all pies themed engagement dinner. I think that's, I think that's classic. I think that's normal. And then <laughs> we had an entirely normal couple sleepover. It's like an adult sleepover yeah. with couples where couples went to their separate bedrooms. Okay, get your head out of the gutter, listeners. We went into wow. another bedroom. I was too excited, could not sleep well, slept for a combined total of three hours. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, then Miles, will, then Miles was like, it's time to go. And I was like, I'm ready for this. I can do this. Uh, I didn't sleep in the car because like, you know, it's a good conversation. And mm-hmm. I didn't want Miles to be alone. Not that you slept a little bit. Connor slept a little bit. I didn't sleep at all. I'm not a good car sleeper in general. Yeah. And then we got there and then Miles tried to decapitate me. Oh my God. (laughs) I was like, I saw every nanosecond of that event and I was powerless to do anything and it lasted like a million years. I was like, no. And Miles just, just, it was already in motion. That that car boot was coming down. Yeah. Chelsea was underneath it and they did collide and it was, oof. I mean, I can say it now because like, but did you die? No, I did not. I did not die. Uh, <laughs> but, and Miles felt so bad. So I tried to kind of downplay it. It really hurt. Ooh. And I, yeah. so, so for the folks at home, Miles's car has a hatchback and that was where all of like our, our stuff was. And he did not realize and I did not verbalize that I was coming in to grab my bag and he thought that everybody had gotten what they were getting so he didn't see me reach under to get it as he like pulled the hatchback down and if you've ever had a hatchback you know it's heavy so you have to pull with your full force so like two hands full force pulling this like metal door down onto the top of my head it looked like a wrestling thing. It was rough. I was, you know, we went immediately from there to kind of hang out in uh, Miles's cousin's house. I was feeling very kind of like faint and a little nauseated. I was worried Oof. that I might have a concussion, but then I did some concussion tests and I did not feel that that was true. Okay. And then I was like, you know what? I think the best decision is I think we should just start drinking really heavily. <laughs> Let's just. I was like, it is 1030 in the morning. Um, I have been on no sleep and I now have a head wound and I think we should just start drinking. That is the safe decision. That is the responsible mm-hmm. decision. So we yep. did. And we also were drinking a lot and we went to the first parade, the day parade. And that was very fun. That was very cute. Yeah, I like that one. It was super cute. And then we took a cute little Connor, nap. Connor got absolutely sumped to shit. Oh my. 
my God. Connor forgot. You know, look, COVID has taken a lot from us. And like, it's true. Connor kind of forgot that, like, even though it's cold outside, if the sun's out and you're a white man, uh, <laughs> you will burn. Uh, so he, his face was so red. It's cute now. It's kind of like faded to sort of like a boy outside on a winter's day, like building a snowman, kind of like rosy. But uh-huh. that whole like day and night after we got out of that first parade, he was. You could feel the hate coming off him. He was lobstery. I felt so awful for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? We we made it through the weekend. Injuries were had. <laughs> Injuries were had. We had no sleep. No sleep at all. We were we were that meme. No sleep. Bus. Other club. Other club. Other yes. clubs. No sleep. Like we we did two Mardi Gras parades. Drank like eight fish bowls and went to I don't know like five different bars that all had fucking covers and we survived. Yeah. And we did survive. And that was, was very, very fun. fun. I see. I was going to ask you what the title of your topic is. Oh, the title of my topic is Cruise Tour. Cruise Tour. Yeah. You heard about <laughs> Jungle Cruise. Now get ready for Cruise, cruise Tour. tour. Did, is... you like the, did you like the extreme confidence with which I had that ready? I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my title is Cruise Tour. It's actually Cruise Tour. So... <laughs> 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 oh yeah, that's that tour. Yeah, yeah it's cruise tour. Is that a? Is it a, like a, an event, like a like a huh. theme park thing, or is that? It's not a theme park thing. Not a theme park thing. Cruise tour. Cruise tour. Is it a tour? A tour of cruises. You're so close, <laughs> but you're also not close in the way that you think. Oh, so it's not like a tour of a cruise boat. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Is it like a cruise festival? Kind of. <gasps> what the hell? Is it where like they take all the big boats and they join them all together and they make one big island? No, but that would be sick and also maybe very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing <laughs> and terrifying. Uh, cruise can I give you a ships hint? across the Atlantic. Yes, please. Uh, cruise might not be spelled the way that you think it is. Is it cruise? What? Cruise. Is it cruise? <laughs> Like like C R U Z. Oh no. Oh. oh, you mean like Penelope Cruz? Yeah, Cruz. I don't know what Penelope that Cruz. accent was. I really don't. Uh, um. Okay. Is it spelled with a K? Yeah. Oh shit. Is it a place? So a tour of a place? No. Not cruise boat. It's not the tour oh. of a place, but it's hmm. the cruise is spelled with a K. Cruise. T- Whoa! Oh! Oh! Is this about Mardi Gras? Yes. Ah! Oh my gosh! Because <laughs> the floats. Because the crew. K R E W E. Yes. It's a tour Ooh. of the different crews. That's why. I said when you said it was a tour of cruises I was like you're so close because it's a tour of cruise the different cruise <laughs> of I New Orleans Mardi that. Gras oh I'm so excited yay <laughs> because I was thinking I was at, like in fact I didn't want to look it up but I was thinking because I'm lazy but I was like what is this is so weird how'd this start and then I kind of like bookmarked it to look at into later probably for a what topic and I'm uh-huh. so glad that you're doing it oh yeah no I had this idea well I'm going to tell the anecdote when it's when it's my time Mm -hmm. Um, but I had this idea thinking about an anecdote from you and then thought about (laughs) it again when we were in Galveston that's why I wanted to talk about Galveston I wanted to lay the foundation because I'm sneaky what is the title of your topic I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you Chelsea it's a lazy title okay oh shit I'm not coming in with the same confidence of cruise tour (laughs) it's cruise tour (laughs) 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 Um, but I literally 
I watched a documentary about this thing last night and I was like, oh my God, that's it. Um, it fucking rules. And the best title I could come up with today, because I'm very, very tired, sure. is The Greatest Sculptor You've Never Heard Of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not laughing at the name of your title. I'm excited to guess. I'm laughing because that title is almost verbatim the title of my topic for next week. <laughs> oh my God. So just really? go ahead and get ready for that. <laughs> What Don't if we do what if it's the same topic? It's not because okay. the it's the noun that's different. So like the title of my topic for next week is the greatest blank you've never heard of. So amazing. So that's anyway, so good. But the greatest sculpture never BuzzFeed. Oh my god. Um <laughs> Okay, so I'm wondering if like the title is a clue that maybe they sculpt something that's like not fine art. Ooh, like um, I don't know, mm-hmm. sculpt bridges or something. <laughs> they sculpt, they sculpt um, the landscape. They like dig holes. No, I was not that clever. Oh, it's just a sculptor. Uh, is it? Is it about God? <laughs> Oh my, can you imagine? Is this that your would be sermon? so good. Yeah, this is finally my moment. I've actually been, this has been my long game. I have been waiting for this podcast to get real solid, real stable with our committed li- listenership. And then I was going to turn the tables. No, so, hilariously, my next topic does have a lot of the Bible in it. Well, this, my topic this week has a lot of the Bible in it because it's about Mardi Gras, which I think a lot of people forget is a religious holiday. <laughs> well, oh my God. Uh, welcome to I, our secret Christian podcast. I don't know if it's just me, like, it, I don't know if it's just like my massive sleep debt that I'm still working off. I did take a two hour mm-hmm. nap again today. Um, I like, I got my nails done and I, I'm pretty sure Connor like lost like a little bit of respect for me because I was like, I've woken up, I'm going to go get my nails done. And then I, and he was like, okay, are we going to clean the house? And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go get my nails done. And then I came home and I was like, I'm so tired from getting my nails done. I'm going to take a nap. (laughs) And he was like, wow. Uh, But I did wake up and clean a little bit before the podcast because I felt bad. Anyway, this is off topic. Mm -hmm. Coming back. Yep. I do think it would be amazing if, if if like you kept doing like your topics as usual, did like all of your exquisite research and everything but you did mm. find a way just to put that like sort of like ted talk like mega church sermon just like one no. place in the middle like you were just like and you know who else kind of like ate everything in the world like that one guy that you told me about that ate everything in the world that mm-hmm. was french what's yeah. his name don't ask me that <laughs> How dare you ask me oh that? Oh my god, this bit is going so well. And we were like, yeah, and you know who else is a... Here we go, use this one, Ellie, in the edit. And you were like, yeah, and you know who else was a mermaid who could, like, who could do miracles in the water? Jesus. And then you're like, don't even, like, don't even address it and just move forward. I would like my points now. <laughs> anyway, points, please. <laughs> um, okay, greatest sculptor I've never heard of, yeah. parentheses, not God. <laughs> God's not dead. It's not God. Okay. Thank you for saying that because let me bring up, and this is like, I want to hear, like, we have such a good turnout of patrons in the patron chat right now. But also if you're just listening at home, I want to know, please let me know. Leave a review. Let me know. Tell me in the chat right now. Let me know. I have a pitch for, (laughs) I have a pitch for. She's been trying to get me to do this for so long. (laughs) I have a pitch. 
pitch for a spinoff podcast. It would be like kind of irregular. It would just be like when we did it, we did it. We would uh, upload to the feed. Ellie acts like she doesn't want to do it, even though it would be so fun. And it is a movie podcast where we talk about we watch like all the bad Christian movies, like the oh. one, like the one where like Planned Parenthood is like a cobble and like the one or cabal and the one where uh, all the gods not deads. I want to watch the Left Behind movies. Oh my god! It would be so good. Anyway, I'm sorry. The pitch over. Logline cut. Print. You know, I'm I'm happy if it like then evolves into like interesting chat afterwards. It would have to. Well, okay, good. It's not just like Meh. I'll forget. It would, well, because yeah, and then as we talked about, like kind of the pitch is it's Eleanor, um, you know, practicing Christian, Max, and or Christina, uh, absolutely not interested in Christianity as a practice, and then mm-hmm. Chelsea who's still working out a lot of things. Chelsea, who's kind of like... figuring it out. Yeah, who's kind of like uh, Toby in the office when he won't go in the church during uh, Jim and Pam's baby's christening, and he's just like, we got a lot to talk about, big guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, the greatest sculptor you've never heard of. Uh, is it Connor? Can you imagine if I did a topic <laughs> that was your boyfriend? It would be such a flex. Like a short biography. <laughs> it would be such a flex. She's like, let me tell you something. I have thought about it and do not tell Here's him this. everything the internet can tell me about Connor. <laughs> oh, you won't find anything because he went through a phase like a couple years ago and he scrubbed himself from the internet. Well, um, I'm one of those skip tracers. So, oh, so she's going to find him. Um, I'll find him. I have thought about I have thought about doing that to Miles like when he's like a um, <laughs> when he's like a guest. <laughs> No, it'll make him so sad. You'd get that little like sad Miles brow. Oh wait, I forget that you and Max feed off that. It's true. Okay, I'm really at a loss. I'm excited to find out though. Okay, well, should we begin? Let's begin. All right, okay, so we are in Hollywood, 1968, and we're going to be hanging out with a chap called Glenn Bray. Glenn Bray, I feel like you would very much enjoy the kind of art that he collects, because that's what he do. That's what he does. He's an art collector, but of uh, of lowbrow or feral art pretty much exclusively, of like oh. underground comics and that this thing called Mad Magazine, which was in Hollywood and was like racy and crazy and stuff. Yeah, I'm familiar and, with know, Mad like, Magazine. <laughs> okay. And like loads of, basically he was like part of the unsavory art crowd of the time, of the late Sick. 60s. Um, one of his really really good friends was this guy called Robert Williams not Robin Williams a different Robert guy Williams. different dude very, important to remember that very different guy because he collected and distributed uh, like comedy porn and everyone was like oh my goodness Christ <laughs> um, and so he was in like the unsavory crowd Okay. So you could you would often find Glenn at a bookshop at the, you know one of the little like comic shop or first edition bookshops and rifling through the shelf to see what he could find. So there he is. He's in a Hollywood bookshop, and he sees this huge brown like faded book spine that has a bizarre like loopy signature kind of handwriting running down the full length of the spine in gold. And he's like, "What is that? I want Ooh. to have me a look." Pulls it off the shelf, and it's this 1923 
art book called The Work of Shukowski. Okay. And inside are hundreds of pages of unbelievable paintings and photos of sculptures. And he was absolutely blown away. Let me kind of preface the rest of my story by saying a lot of this or like this, all the research that I've done on this was inspired by a Netflix documentary that was produced by Leonardo DiCaprio and his dad. Oh, cool. About... Oh, Daddy DiCap? <laughs> Daddy DiCap. You're talking about Daddy about- DiCap right now. <laughs> about this story and about this man um, and the whole kind of question of that documentary is can we separate the artist from the art Ooh. and we'll find out why so what a fun little tease please keep going <laughs> little tease so there he is he's, what, he's looking at this book and he's like how the hell have I never seen any of these things before like I'm looking at work that's like comparable to Picasso and Dali and I have no idea who this is and you know it's like a big first edition book so it's and like it's heavy and it costs a lot of money and the lady at the bookshop was like are you buying that or not and like made him buy it <laughs> it was really expensive yes, you and he was are. like pissed <laughs> So he kind of gets a little bit obsessed with this dude. He keeps looking through this book and and seeing all these paintings and, and pictures of sculptures. And he's like, ah, I, I got to know more about this guy. Who was this? He's amazing. Like if you check him out, like if you look him, look him up, his work is wild and so like vivid and expressive. And what? yeah. Can you like, say his name I... again? Yeah. So his name is Shukalski and that's spelled S-Z-U-K-A-L-S-K-I. Okay. Thank God it came up in autofills. <laughs> Uh, oh wow it's nuts it's nuts um but so he tries to track him down and all he can find is very basic information like he knew that he was polish hence the name and he had been a pretty major player in the chicago renaissance of the early 20th century that was comprised of like ben hecht the screenwriter um uh, other classic american artists basically okay and so he was just like, you know, our mate Glenn's just like, well, you know, he's probably passed away and that's that and I'll never find anything else about him. Sad. Then years later, like five years later or something, he goes to a coffee shop in his, in his own neighborhood and he <gasps> sees pinned to the wall behind the barista this image that he immediately recognizes from that book. Okay. And so he says, hey, like, where did you get that? Who, who is, what is that? And barista says, oh, the artist gave it to me himself. He lives in the neighborhood. Oh, this feels like, like a movie. Well, yeah, and so this guy claims like, what the fuck? Like he's been living less than five minutes away from me this entire fuck, time. Kyle? What the fuck, Kyle? <laughs> so, so he, Robert Williams, and okay. his wife Suzanne decide that they're going to go and see this guy. You know, they're crazy artist folk, and they want to meet this guy and see what's up. They gotta know what's knock, up. I want to, I want to know what's up with this dude. So they knock on the door, and this very sort of un- unremarkable part of outside of Los Angeles, and this little five foot white haired dude opens the door this is Stanislav Shikalski <gasps> okay. and he is pumped he is vibing Aww. so hard that there are people coming to learn about his art and to basically like, interview him and learn about him He's kind of a nutso. There's a historian in the documentary that says it's difficult to find the level of megalomania that Shikalski had, even in megalomaniacs. Whoa, that's saying something. Yeah, so he's sitting down with these people and he's saying, I am the most foremost expert on any and all things to do with physical art. I'm the greatest sculptor there ever was. No one else holds a candle to me. He called Picasso pick asshole. (laughs) 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 I'm sorry, you're going to need to give me a minute. 
<laughs> yeah. He was like, look like these other people like pick asshole. And they're like, okay. <laughs> sure, my dude. Like this dude loves himself and is was not afraid to Amazing. self-promote. He was just like, I fucking rule. I'm so good at sculpting. No I'm one's so, as good as I am. I'm so good at sculpting, yo. You have no fucking, I'm fucking idea. He's like, I'm so sane. I'm I'm so incredibly sane. I'm the sanest guy you've ever seen. Sanest guy ever. Um, and even though he's kind of a dick in that way, Glenn was just kind of fascinated by who the hell is this old man who is in love with himself. And so he decides that he's going to, like, basically they kind of hang out and become friends. And Glenn decides he's going to film interviews with this dude later on and he helps him publish books. And so they become like a little unit. I think Glenn kind of saw him as a father figure in a lot of ways. They get very, Aww. very close. It's very sweet. I guess. And Tchaikovsky would would kind of, he would piecemeal talk about his background. He would be telling half a story and then stop what he's doing and like, you know, talk about whatever was in the room. And so Mm -hmm. Glenn figured out he could never ask him direct questions about his life. that He never got an answer. So he just kind of hung around with him and piecemealed from these odd sentences that he would say here and there what must have happened. Which then later Tchaikovsky did say was like, you know, backed up that that was the truth. So Uh he was born in Poland in 1893 and he moved to the United States when he was 13. And even from like from about the age of six years old, it was clear that he had some kind of genius artistic skill. He got in trouble for like messing around whittling a pencil. And then when he was like marched to the front to his teacher, he had made like an incredible like figurine out of the pencil. And they were like, holy shit. (laughs) So (laughs) instead of punishing him, that he actually got written up in the newspaper of the of the town that he was born in. And it was about this time that he decided to create his own alphabet. Oh, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> that was what he used sing- in singularity for the whole rest of his life. Like that looping, swirling, insane symbol that Glenn saw on the side of the book was his own signature written in his alphabet. The only oh, alphabet that he would yes. use. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So you're yes. saying basically this is like the guy that made the room, but for sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> yes, kind of. <laughs> He was accepted into the Art Institute of Chicago when he was 13. In okay. the entrance exam, it was like all the students had to do a life drawing of like of a nude woman. And they nice. were supposed to, they had to, had to have the whole drawing done, like the full, the full woman done by the end of the session. He only drew her knee and apparently his like treatment and style of that was enough to earn him full admission with no stipulations. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, yeah, hell yeah. So he spends a couple of years in the Art Institute, super, super, super young. And his extraordinary talent drew the attention of another sculptor who, for some reason, like I really couldn't find the answer to the answer to this, he persuaded Schakowsky's parents to send him to study at the Academy of Fine Arts in Krakow, back in Poland. Maybe just because it was a better school, but uh-huh. I, I thought the Art Institute of Chicago is like pretty baller. So yeah. I don't know. No, no, no. But then, and then three years later, he came back to Chicago, and so this toing and froing between Poland and the United States becomes like a very important part of his life in a way like if it really begins to affect him so ben hecht who was a very famous screenwriter off of like gone with the wind and stuff okay <laughs> some pretty big some pretty big movies of the time yeah, he talks deal. about Shikalski in his memoir and he recounts this starving muscular aristocratic and loaded with contempt for those he considered <laughs> lesser than himself which was spoiler everyone uh, <laughs> literally everybody some thought of him as this very tender inviting person and other people people say that he was very stoic and cold 
So the thinking is from historians, people that have done his biography and stuff that like this toing and froing between Poland and the United States at that time gave him the, some some kind of like split personality, something or other, or like, I don't know, personality disorder and disorder that he was very like two very different people. And he was prone to being like, <laughs> like mad fits of anger. Apparently an oh, influential good. art critic visited his studio during the Chicago Renaissance when he was working. And to be fair, Dick moved, tapped one of his sculptures with the cane and Schakowsky yeah. snapped the cane in two and physically threw this man out of his studio and down the stairs. Oof, a cane <laughs> Damn, okay, yeah yeah his art always had to have like a very strong political message and people didn't love that he was really an anti-artist is what he called himself criticizing whatever institution kind of stood in his way which mm-hmm. made him very popular with the local press because they loved whatever crazy story of whatever he was going to fucking do next yeah like this one showcase of his was criticized for being too political so he went back in there and just smashed up the whole thing nice <laughs> and the museum creator's like no please don't no we paid for that <laughs> no please <laughs> Supposedly, at this time, while he was hanging out with these folks in Chicago, he was asked about how he became so knowledgeable about anatomy because something you'll see in his paintings and his sculptures is that the anatomy is so precise and the perspective of things is is incredibly precise. In fact, he said that the way that he he said that he could conceive an idea in full 3D in his mind and turn it over and over and find the correct angle and then he would start at the outer rim of a picture and just the whole thing would be created with just dots. Oh, wow. And he was like, he talked about being able to visualize it like that. And that's how he was like so good at sculpting. That's amazing. But yeah, so, so someone was like, how are you so, how is your anatomy so good? How do you know everything about all that? And he said, I always say that my dad taught me. And they're like, oh, but your dad was a blacksmith. And he's like, yeah, no, but when my dad died, uh, he was hit by a car outside of his, of the of the blacksmith. And so, and there was a big crowd and I, I got it in there and, and I saw that he had been killed. So I picked him up up and I walked him to the local morgue and um, but they said if I paid them I could take him home with me so I dissected him so that's how I say that my dad taught me anatomy oh. and everyone's like what the fuck oh Ooh, okay never say that again yeah, yeah. that's something so, we keep to ourselves yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> he was he was fiercely patriotic about both America and Poland confusing Great. yeah and in 1936 after he'd been chilling in Chicago for a long time the minister of the treasury of Poland paid for him to come and basically be like Poland's national artist <laughs> He was charged with this idea of you like make make Polish national art, um, and he was super down for that because he had he'd been a long time critic of Polish art and like saying that they're all shit and he's amazing. Yeah, of course, Standard. naturally. Yeah, uh-huh. well, yeah, 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 yes. yeah. So he was like, I'm down, and he took his wife and his lifetime's work with him to Poland on a big old boat, and did a bunch of amazing giant sculptures and monuments and stuff all in, around the lo- like local government buildings, and Poland declared the. Yeah, Schakowsky, the country's greatest living artist, and paid for him to have this giant studio, which was the largest in, in Warsaw, and called it the Schakowsky National Museum. Damn. So, so they were willing like to a, just go with it. 
they were like, yes, it's you. Mm -hmm. It's always Mm -hmm. been you. Yeah. Yeah. And so this museum that he built (laughs) contained many of his intricate, crazy paintings and giant sculptures that had these like this weird kind of mythological imagery because what he was doing was taking cultural historical imagery from other countries, combining it with Slavic traditions and Slavic art and to create this sort of new type of ancient myth, like mythological art that he was calling Polish national art. They're like, he's just like, this is Polish now. I, because I decided and it's me. Um, but that he is powerful. remained yeah, very powerful, um, and he remained. But he remained a stoic socialite throughout his whole life, despite everything that was going on. And, you know, lots of political turmoil all over Europe at that point with Mussolini and Hitler and all of that building up. So, and he was asked by the German by the German government to make a commemorative portrait of Hitler and Goebbels, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'd love to, love to, love to, love to. That'd great, be great, 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 great. Oh, it I'd good. love to do that. Oh, let's do so it." What he did. So he made he drew an image of Hitler and Goebbels in little like uh, little girls pinafore dresses dancing together and sent that back (laughs) (laughs) and the Nazis were like no no it's gonna be a no from us dog we're not gonna use that one but thanks so much Um, he didn't get in trouble no, because he's the greatest living artist of Poland and Holy shit hadn't shit. quite started to go down yet. Okay. But then it did. Then it very much did. Yeah, and then and, it did. And-, <laughs> and then it super did. So Especially there he is. in Poland. Yeah, there he is. The national artist of Poland just having all of his patriotic jimmies stroked. September of 1939 rolls around and that was when Warsaw was bombed to shit by Germany mm-hmm. to absolute cool smithereens like yeah. 25,000 people lost their lives in that bombing it's horrible um, and people actually don't really like that's definitely you know you always learn about the London bombings but you know you don't really don't really hear about the Polish ones so much yeah. Um, in that bombing, Schakowsky lost his life's work. Every drawing, <gasps> every painting, every sculpture was either destroyed in the bombing or seized by the Nazis. And he himself was buried in the rubble of his own studio for two days before he was pulled out. Oh my God. Yeah. So he lost, as an artist, he lost everything he'd ever done, ever made. And he managed to run with his wife to the US embassy because they were both American citizens. And mm-hmm. by early November, they were one of about, uh, well, American, uh, they're about a hundred Americans remaining in Warsaw. So everyone's like holed up in the um, embassy together. And they eventually escape and make their way back to the United States. And because after losing his life's work, he really, you know, sort of sort of took the winds out of his sails a little bit. And basically, after a few fairly failed projects, he that didn't really go anywhere like further than his immediate friends, he um, he decided that he was gonna <laughs> sideline the whole art thing and devote his time and energy to creating a new major project. And this, this is where we take a turn, another turn, if you will. Starting in 1940, Schakowsky devoted most of his time examining the mysteries of prehistoric ancient history of, a man, of mankind, the formation and shaping of languages and faiths and customs and arts and migrations of people from like ancient history to now. He became a bit of a history buff, if you will, uh-huh. and decided that he was going to unravel the origin of ge- geographical names, gods, and symbols that have survived in various cultures. He was going to figure out this big puzzle of Earth. And well, how naturally. everything happened. 
and well, through his research was. well of course he was because he's the best one he and yeah of course he can do it well, so through his research it. he claimed to have discovered polish origins for most ancient places places and people in a language that he called protong uh, okay yeah so Still apparently pro- yeah apparently protong could be seen in phenomena ranging from apparently the polish origins of babylon uh to jesus's polish identity and oh, he yeah i've heard wrote- about how jesus was polish Mm-hmm. How yeah. he was Polish, yeah. So he and he started to write all this stuff down. This big giant book called Protong, and he has been writing this book. Well, he, by the point that our friend Glenn caught up with him in 1968, he'd been writing this book for about 40 years. Okay, it's a manuscript of 42 volumes, totaling more than 25,000 pages, and no. including about 14,000 illustrations. Oh my god! Um, and it's called Zermatism. It's called it's what? Zermatism. Okay. Z e r m I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I asked. I know that was obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry yeah. about that. That's going to be, okay. and that's going to be Zermatism. Okay. Yes. And this was, so this is his collected concept of world history. So what happened was, all right, after a big giant flood, so we're with the Bible to that point, it was Easter Islanders who settled in a place called Zermatt, hence the name, Zermatism, come mm-hmm. on, that in all human languages, one could find traces of the original ancient mother tongue of mankind, which has archaic Polish origins. <laughs> Um, and in this view, in this, in this view, humanity is locked in an eternal struggle with the sons of yetis. Uh, did you say yetis? Like the yeah, like the cryptid? Mm-hmm. Okay, like a, like a big, like a bigfoot. Starting to feel a little less the guy that made the room and a little more Elron Hubbard. But keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So yetis would be real bad and and have sex with women. No, and they would have yeah. That's yeah. what I'm sensitive then, about. Then, then they would have. Uh, uh, offspring that would enslave humanity from time immemorial <sighs> and the figures of the god Pan the little goat guy mm-hmm. on Greek vases that he was real he actually existed and he was yeah. the product of the yeti rape, apes kind of people raping the human women <sighs> he has not gained a much of a of a of a religious sort of following but people really dig the art of these yeah, books okay. <laughs> And in the 80s, Glenn decided that he was going to film Zhukowski. So the majority of this documentary is footage of Zhukowski himself explaining all of his wide, wild and wonderful ideas. Um, but something that I think is really cool because he lost, all of his art was lost, right? Most of it. Okay. This, in the end, after he passed away in the early 90s, late, late 80s, late 80s, I think, mm-hmm. Glenn was the inheritor inheritor of his estate. And he, not only did he scatter his, go, go to Easter Island to scatter his ashes, but he has been trying to track down any art of his that he could. And he found one of the, like a bunch of uh, plasticasts of his pieces and he's having them um, remade in bronze, which was something that Shikasi could never afford to do. So some of this art is like available um, as, as being put, finally put in museums and like he's being oh, wow. credited with some of the stuff that he was never able to show. And loads of evidence in these videos that though it might be a bit bonkers, the whole, uh, I can't even, zermatism? Sure. The whole uh-huh. zermatism thing was a sort of side effect of the trauma of World War II and what that did to him and his thoughts about a lot of the kind of content of his little religion is that like all people are one people and like the atrocities that were committed against uh, people is just like silly because we're all the same. So it has like a sweetheart underneath 
it's, it's yeah. for lunacy. That's very bit. sweet. Uh, yeah, so it was like a very interesting documentary and an amazing story about someone who, like there are so many ups and downs and he's clearly like at times a very bad person, but also a very like kind of sweet and pathetic person. Yeah, um, we love pathetic a complicated in, like, figure. A, yeah, <laughs> pathetic in like the empathy way, not like fucking pathetic, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's my story about the sculpture you probably not never heard of. And I really, really do. I mean, I'll drop drop some of these in the chat because his work is bonkers. It's so technically complex. It reminds me of like, and now I can't think of the word. I think it might be kerbling. The thing where you um you add like all the little like cubes to stuff to make something look more technically complex. Oh yeah. Uh, it it's like he did that, but like not in a random way. It's just like everything is so detailed and like a highly like ordered and rigid way that makes it's looking very, at it like a wonder. Yeah, it's very extreme. Um, and there's a great great video of him in this documentary going like make it extreme make it big show what you feel show what it is like it has to have a meaning mm-hmm. and it's very i was like he's very passionate and strange and it's definitely a good watch so uh, go for it it's on netflix the word i was looking for is griebling just because i want Ooh. i didn't want anybody to be like you're stupid but now you know you're <laughs> <laughs> stupid uh, yeah so there's a piece of his called the struggle which is a big giant human hand but then the bottom like the thumb becomes this kind of like i think that all the digits uh, become like eagles that are trying to attack each other. Ooh. I, I posted it in the Patreon. She did a little it's post. My, little post. <laughs> and then the one underneath that that I posted is his um, statue of David. Well, yeah, everybody's got to do their own little statue. You got to do a David. You got to be out here doing David. But yeah, that's my story. That was very cool. It's a cool story. It's a cool dude, but also a bad dude, but also funny. Well, you know, I think it's nice to think about like somebody having like sort of like a bonkers magnum opus but then when you peel back the layers it's just like they're trying to work through something that's very human and very like very in some ways universal like just sort of like the the pain and the collective trauma of that right Um, like if you as an artistic person if you lose everything you've ever worked on and you have this massively traumatic experience of being buried in rubble mm -hmm. i i might write a a 42 book book yeah i mean especially if i'm like you know famous and like relatively taken care of i suppose uh, and I just have time <laughs> on my hands and people want me to be creative and I'm like well I'm going through shit yeah <laughs> so well I'm just holding on over here yeah I'm, so simply, actually... go- I'm simply out here going through it <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to bring you on a cruise tour. I'm so excited for this. Okay, let's get into it. So, like we discussed, you and I have now experienced a couple Mardi Gras together. Mm-hmm. And the last one was this last weekend at the time of recording. We went to go uh, do some Mardi Gras festivities in Galveston, which is the second biggest Mardi Gras in the United States. Outside of, you know, like I said, I called M- Mardi Gras Prime in New Orleans. <laughs> and I started thinking about this anecdote that you had told me a while back about like a church that is in England and uh, like an American um, an American uh, what's the word um, acquaintance of yours was like uh-huh. how much does it cost to get married in this in this church and you were like oh you you can't <laughs> like you can't get married in this church you have to like have like a family member who is like a member of the church yeah. um, you have to have like an established sort of like familial connection to the church and they just like just like such like a um, sort of like ick 
anti-American, not like in the loaded sense of that word, but just like in the kind of like sociocultural sense of that word. Yeah. Such an anti-American sentiment that they were just like, well, I don't, well, like, come on, like, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah they're not like, going to say no price? if I give them like $10,000. And it's like, yes, they will. Like, yes. They absolutely will. Uh, <laughs> and this American it, just they like. They were complete, they would not accept it. It was nonplussed. <laughs> they're like, yeah, but like, come on. <laughs> You're yeah. like, no. Uh, no. So the closest that we have to something like that, in my opinion, actually goes back to the cruise of Mardi Gras. And that is, as you pointed out, K-R-E-W-E. And so this is uh, the foundation that builds Mardi Gras. And I think the best thing to do is actually to like step back even further a little bit just at the beginning and kind of talk about like the origins and the structure of Mardi Gras. Because I think especially if you're not from the part of the country of the U.S. that celebrates it or if you're not from a country that has like any kind of carnival tradition – it yeah, just, the it experience kind of seems like a big niche. party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I think the first one that I went to was in like 2000 and maybe 2014. And uh-huh. I was like, I I was not prepared. I had no idea what that was going to be. I did not think it was that. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's completely singular. It is unlike, and by it, I mean, again, like Carnival, because I'm not saying Mardi Gras, as we're about to talk about, is, is by any means like an exclusively uh, New Orleans or southern american tradition um but Mm -hmm. it is if it's if carnival is not part of like your cultural or religious practice it can be absolutely overwhelming and surprising (laughs) so to back up carnival season is the season preceding ash wednesday ash wednesday in western christianity is the beginning of lent lent Uh (laughs) is the period in which jesus the sort of like leader of christianity Again, I'm trying like to not make assumptions about anybody who's listening. You're doing great. I think I'm doing great. Uh, the leader of Christianity suffered for 40 days before being executed. And then central to the entire concept of Christianity later was resurrected and, and ascended into heaven to save everybody. So you have, so working backwards, you have, he saved everybody. He was executed. Mm-hmm. He had a real shitty 40 days <laughs> that started yeah. on a Wednesday. Then the day before that, that they call Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras. Because the idea is that if Jesus, this person that saved your life and your soul, suffered for 40 days and then was executed, the least you can do is maybe kind of be a little um, like fast and kind of be a little bit more modest and and, uh, pious during those 40 days. So Lent is a period in which people who practice Western Christianity, a lot of times they give things up, they go to mass more often, uh, they do extended bouts of prayer they reflect on like the stru- the suffering of Jesus so in true like human nature what are you going to do <laughs> right before you have to like do that for 40 days you're going to have similarly 40 days of just non-stop parties that culminates <laughs> yeah. on the day before that all starts like again starts on Ash Wednesday so it it all culminates with Fat Tuesday which in French translates to Mardi Gras Mardi is Tuesday Wait. Gras is fat are you trying to tell? Are you trying to tell me that Mardi Gras lasts for forty days? It can because tech. It, it depends. 
depends on when Ash Wednesday falls. But technically, Mardi Gras or Carnival season yeah. starts on Epiphany, which is January 6th because it is 12 days after the birth of Christ. So once again, little primer <laughs> on Christianity. If it's not your your religion that you interact with, Christmas Day is December 25th. It is the day that, they, that Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus. 12 days later, so January 6th, is when allegedly the three kings or the three wise men finally made it to Bethlehem to see the Christ mm-hmm. child and give their gifts. That is where you get That's terms. Why, oh, go ahead. It's a mega holiday in Spain. Yeah. Oh, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's where you get terms like the gift of the Magi or the 12 days of Christmas or 12th night. All of those are referencing this period of time between the birth of Christ and the three kings getting to Christ. So then the day them the, gifts and to give him his <laughs> gifts and to like also to witness like all of this is um and I mean this is getting into kind of like the stuff that I really geek out on which is like the historical and like sociocultural elements of like a religion as big as Christianity uh uh-huh. this is this is a new if you think about it this is a new kind of folk religion coming up in um you know what 1 AD I suppose uh <laughs> and uh, or like the early parts of like the like early 100s I guess uh-huh. and um yeah. this is a pre-literate society so things like witness take so much more they mean so much more to people at this time yes than like right now if I'm just like oh well like I witnessed that it's like yeah sure you fucking write a blog about it bitch but like <laughs> but then it was like the reason epiphany is so important is because these are three kings or three wise men depending on like your interpretation they are highly esteemed and regarded they have like metaphysical influence in their communities and they witness the Christ child so yeah that's epiphany that is always January 6th the timing of Easter and therefore Ash Wednesday and Fat Tuesday fluctuates depending on Christian calendars which is a whole other thing Um, but the season goes basically from January to March in other parts of the world, especially in like the Caribbean and in South America, they have yeah. huge, very specific carnival celebrations that bear like kind of surface level similarities to Mardi Gras, but are completely their own thing. And I'm definitely okay. not qualified to talk about them. One of them that's really cool is uh, Topover in Barbados. Uh, and you can yeah. see some really amazing imagery of Rihanna, aka Queen of the Universe. Uh, I'm sorry, I said Topover. <laughs> Over, I meant to say crop over. Crop over, not top over. That was okay. my mistake. I was talking too fast. Anyway, if you want to see some really cool images of Rihanna in her like crop over costume celebrating uh, in Barbados where she is from, it fucking whips. Rio de Janeiro <laughs> has the, in uh, Brazil, has the biggest carnival celebration in the entire world. It is, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, if you went to the Galveston Mardi Gras and thought, oh, this is like a chill version of Mardi Gras. My understanding is that Mardi Gras in New Orleans is a chill version of Carnival in Rio. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Which is to say, holy shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But anyway, very exciting. So that's like the first thing to understand that I think a lot of people don't understand about Mardi Gras is that it is a season. Uh, It is not just Fat Tuesday, although everything culminates on that Tuesday, as we're about to talk about. 
Um, Okay. So over the course of the season, starting with Epiphany, there are a series of parades throughout New Orleans because this is the biggest site of carnival celebration in the United States because of the really high density of Catholics that settled, (laughs) of French Catholics that settled in, um, in New Orleans and in like the southern Louisiana region, which if you're new to the pod, I guess it's really worth pointing out that uh, this is where I am from. I was born. Yeah just outside of New Orleans in like a little bayou town uh, right on Lake Pontchartrain and which is the big lake that New Orleans is the crescent that it sits on. And then I lived in New Orleans when I was little. Uh, A lot of my family still lives there. I went to Mardi Gras a lot as a child, not Mardi Gras prime. Although I think I went once and my mom was really mad about it later. But, (laughs) but again, because it is a season, there are so many parades and there are some parades that are more appropriate for families than others. Yes. (laughs) And I think this is a part of, Mardi Gras that is also kind of confusing for people is like it's a religious technically religious celebration it's like a feast yeah but it is it is about debauchery but (laughs) it makes a little bit more sense it definitely does not make sense in like in in a modern evangelical American Christian American evangelical Christian yeah ideology but when you think about Catholics uh again which I was raised Catholic uh bonkers bonkers group of people (laughs) it is all about um how humans are inherently sinners. The only way that you are not a sinner is through the love of Christ. You Mm -hmm. are about to celebrate his ultimate sacrifice to save you from sin. Therefore, contextually, it actually makes perfect sense to just completely (laughs) go all in on sin right before you're saved. And that is kind of like the the impetus of it. And I mean, you know, not everybody is like, (laughs) not every Catholic, especially, is like getting naked in the street. A lot of times it's about, you know, it's about feasts. It's about like lavish food and clothes, which we're about to talk about, celebration, um, conviviality, uh, and um, excess, like excess and grandeur preceding this time of sort of like stoicism and piety that is going to culminate uh-huh. in Easter, which is the biggest day of the year for Christians and especially Catholics beyond Christmas. Uh, yes. I know it's not as exciting to non-Christians. They're like, yeah, fucking bunny. I don't give a shit. But like, <laughs> if you are a practicing Christian, uh, is a big deal. It is a big, huge deal. And if you were raised, if you went to the kind of Catholic churches that I went to, there was also this kind of like fun robe thing that happened with the priests, where like they always have like different robes for different things. Yeah. But when they would go into Lent, they would start wearing like very, very simple robes, like a simple version of the of the like vestments. Um, mm-hmm. And they would wear that for all of the Sundays leading up it's to like, I'm humble now. Right. I'm humble. Just like Christ was humbled, the original leader of the church. And so mm-hmm. and then when you get to Easter, they come out and they're just like resplendent in like purple and gold, because the idea is that God is king. And this is getting very confusing. This guy's anointed. And yeah, he's been anointed. God is king. God is also Jesus because of a complicated Christ, uh, Catholic idea. So therefore, Jesus is king. He has risen. He has risen to the throne. He is like, in a way, Easter is like his coronation in heaven. Therefore, they're covered in like uh, royal garb, which leads me yeah. into, which leads perfectly into, let's talk about these crews. So, okay. because what you will find is 
the cruise of Mardi Gras, which it's K R E W E. And it is, uh, the social clubs that are literally responsible for putting on Mardi Gras. They often regale themselves with concepts of like royalty. There's often like most crews have like a King, some version of like a King or a queen. And this mm-hmm. isn't a direct, this is a direct reference to Christ as King. So, okay. I mean, you know, these things are, um, abstracted it- by this point, but like that was the original kind of idea so so the thing to understand about how Mardi Gras came to be in New Orleans it's now so ubiquitous with New Orleans as a city that I don't think people think about the fact that like the city had to accommodate this happening like it just kept getting bigger and bigger not the other way around the city did not say we're gonna have a parade who wants to show up instead (laughs) in 1856 the mystic crew of Comas and that's M-I-S-T-I-C crew okay. of Comus founded uh, in a um, in a uh, smoking room full of like aristocratic gentlemen of the time. So in 1856, <laughs> uh-huh. Comus uh, is the first and the oldest continually operating crew in New Orleans. Okay. They say, hey, Lent is coming up. <laughs> We're rich. <laughs> we want to party. Let's get crazy. Yeah, let's do this. So they they um, put together the first ever Mardi Gras parade. It is mostly them kind of parading themselves as rich white dudes. Yeah. It culminates in a ball. Quickly after that, three more, um, three more very kind of prestigious crews emerge. They are all based specifically on aristocracy. They all have secret membership rosters that you are... What? Yes. And this this extends to this day. So this is where this connects to the anecdote that, that I told about you, where it's like uh-huh. um, the big four, you cannot apply for membership. Uh, you have to be asked to be a member. And there's a very complicated sponsorship system that goes along with it. And all of the like um, the registers, like the rosters, are kept secret. And this becomes very important. What? Yes. These are... <laughs> That's these are wild. essentially these are essentially the way that like especially in the old south they keep kind of aristocracy going. So okay, this is the weird part. Like the technically the the roster of Comus is secret, and that's going to become really important in a second. But you can kind of see who's in there because. The Comus Ball ends Mardi Gras season in New Orleans. It happens Fat Tuesday night, right before Lent, okay. and it's televised on local television in New Orleans. No way. Yes. So you can kind of just see like all these like rich old white people, and they are white because that's also going to come up in a second, uh, <laughs> in just the most complicated costumes you've ever seen doing like doing like cotillion dances and like all of this like highly ritualized like here's the king here's the queen uh they bow to their courts it gets a little weird where it's like the king can be anybody and it usually like anybody in like the um organization which means that a lot of times it is like you know an old man uh Uh the queen of Comus has to be an unmarried girl in high school or college between the ages of 18 and 21 so it essentially kind of functions is like a deb ball like they oh no this is okay yeah 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 but so you have like a real young like ingenue debutante queen and then you have like this old man king and they're like <laughs> welcome Chris to Comics Comics. Says, <laughs> Chris Comics says red flag yeah exactly <laughs> 
<laughs> oh no, it's an absolute red flag. Here's the thing. Like Comus is really interesting because they are inextricably tied to the history and the inception of New Orleans Mardi Gras, but they're not a good organization. And here's, mm. here's one of the ways you know that. Oh, another thing is that they always send out these like incredibly elaborate um, invitations to the ball for people who get invited. And those are like collector's items that people, people will keep forever. Uh, and like are highly regarded, very hard to come by, even as like an outside collector. Basically, like if you are in one of the families, your family keeps all of them back, dating back to like the 1800s. And they are some of the most beautiful like works of art in terms of like lettering that you've ever seen. That's so wild. Here's the thing. Comus, despite being the oldest crew in New Orleans, stopped parading in 1991 and has not paraded since. Would you oh, like... Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, your audio got weird Whoa. for a second. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's okay. Uh, would you like to know why? I would love to know why. Oh, you're not going to like it. So... Oh, no. <laughs> uh, in 1991, the city of New Orleans passed an ordinance and it was some real bare minimum shit. And basically, <laughs> all they said was that every crew who, who parades in the official Mardi Gras parades has to agree to an ordinance that they will not discriminate based on race, gender, sexual orientation, disability. Like the kind of like Don't basic be a dick, you guys. Like the kind of basic language that is like in anything in the United sure. States. And they weren't even in this house we. In this house we. Here's the thing. They weren't required to reach like any kind of like um recruitment thresholds. They weren't required to open their membership. They were allowed to keep it closed. They just all they had to say was they're not discriminating on the basis of these things. So like they could they were still absolutely allowed to discriminate based on like, well, if you're um, in, you're in. And if you're not, you're right. not. Uh you just couldn't discriminate based on like those kind of like You just can't say why. The federally protected protected groups basically wow and comus along with two of the other big four oldest crews said that this would cause that like the real thing about this was that they wanted them to racially integrate and that they would never racially integrate and that they would never allow black people into their crews again this is 1991 wow rather than rather than uh, like agree with this ordinance they said fine we'll stop parading they stopped (gasps) they stopped being a part of Mardi Gras because of this they still have their ball and their ball is still televised uh, but oh, they do wow. not parade okay. anymore. Even after this uh, ordinance was later overturned, it was like found to be unconstitutional by like the state government of Louisiana. Because of course it was. Of uh, course it was. Yeah. Louisiana is very racist. Uh, and I could say that because I'm from there. They still were like, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> nah. Uh, which is kind of a bummer. So out of the big four, the only one that still parades to this day is Rex. Rex being Latin for king. Uh, uh-huh. Rex always has a big Mardi Gras king. And kind of the king of Rex really is considered to be the king of Mardi Gras. And the funny thing is that even <laughs> though Rex, awesome. yeah, even though Rex, the crew is, um, is the only one of the big four that kind of agreed to that ordinance. They are still predominantly, you know, white, old, old money families. So just kind right. of, again, proving that it didn't really change anything. <laughs> and they really threw a fit just because they needed everybody to know that they were racist, which is yeah, great. They're like, no, 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 really. No, we really are. No, no. I don't think you guys get it. Like for real. 
know, y'all. We're super racist. Here's a very cool thing. Um, so, like I said, like Rex is one of the big four that still parades. The other really big crew is Zulu. And Zulu is also the only like predominantly black crew in like official Mardi Gras. Other ones are mm-hmm. like other smaller ones are all like racially integrated at this point. But Zulu is still predominantly black. And that comes back from Zulu's very interesting and cool history, which is okay. there were a group of black people who tried to join Rex in the early 20th century, like in like 1900. Poof. Yeah, and you can imagine that didn't go great. Uh, <laughs> no. And they were they were uh, told that they were not allowed to join. So in 1909, a mutual aid group known as the Tramps chose one of the members, um, one of the men who had been excluded from Rex. His name was William Story. They made him a tin can crown and a banana stock scepter, and they started <laughs> calling him King Zulu. <laughs> Okay. It was meant to be like a parody of Rex, which at the time, like I said, like this is the origin of the Mardi Gras King. So even like in the 1900s, they would have these big elaborate jeweled crowns and these Mm -hmm. like full gowns. And like the men wear outfits that look like Henry VIII outfits, like big like (laughs) tunics and like the, the shorts and the tights and everything. And they have scepters. So in this, they were like, well, you know, fuck these white guys. Uh, they, make this like they make a tin can crown banana stock scepter and they're like this is king zulu he is just as good as you because all of this is this is all this is all fun and this is all dumb and you're not a real king and i hope you know that um right and that was the origin of zulu and then it was so popular and especially like with the um black community in new orleans which has always been a very large percentage of new orleans that it just became its own social club so they created a social club called zulu and then now rex and Zulu are the main parades. Like when we went in 2019, Whoa. we went to we saw Zulu predominantly. Like that was the one that we got all of our throws from. That's why we got those coconuts because the coconuts. Oh yeah, the coconuts are the traditional Zulu throw, and it is again a mockery of doubloons, which is what Rex and the other like big four when they used to parade would throw. So talking about like the um the collectibles every year, the big crews create either new doubloons or new coconuts in the term in case of Zulu and they design them based on that year's theme for all their floats and their people especially people who like live in the region who go to Mardi Gras every year it's a big deal to get at least one throw that has mm-hmm. that collector's item on it so that you can have them from all the years and people who are really serious about it if you are ever so lucky as to be invited to their home they might show you like 30 years worth of coconuts and all of the different designs <laughs> which is so cool yeah that is so I had no idea that that's what the coconuts meant mm-hmm. um, if someone's listening and they don't know what do you mean by throws ah yes (laughs) so Mardi Gras you know most people know it's a parade and there's big floats the floats are you know decorated to the nines they start usually the year before sometimes even longer sometimes like it's very possible that right now in um, well not right this minute because they're definitely just getting ready for Mardi Gras in a couple weeks but uh, starting in April of this year 
there might be some crews that are working on 2024's floats because they're that complicated. Also, for people who are in the super crews who are going to go to the balls, women typically start ordering their dresses the May before the next Mardi Gras. So starting in May of this year, women will start working with their designers to design and custom make their 2023 Mardi Gras ball gown. That's wild. I had no idea about Uh, that. And then the other big part of it are the throws. So everybody who gets to ride on the float, which is a big honor, they throw beads, but not just beads, even though beads are the most famous thing. They also, like I said, they throw doubloons and coconuts. They're very intricately designed. Uh, They are, I have a couple from different Mardi Gras and some from my mom. They're not made of plastic. They're usually made of like wood. Sometimes they're even made of like ceramic, which means you want to be very careful when you catch them. Um, They are true like works of art and they signify both that crew, that crew's theme. They usually have the year on it um, and they're a collector's item. They are proof that you were there, that you were part of the celebration. Um, And then if you go to different parades, sometimes they have really wacky stuff. Like they throw little light up balls at you. Uh, They throw koozies and cups. I still have like a whole stack of cups because we caught the very tail end of Zulu in 2019. And they were like basically done. They threw us like a stack. They just threw us like a sheet of cups. And so we have like all these Zulu cups. And, uh, you know, as, as we were talking about this weekend, uh, at the St. Patrick's Day one, they throw little panties that are like they do. made of tissue paper and yep. <laughs> immediately the fall thing, apart. <laughs> the thing that if you, I don't know, if perhaps you're like listening from England and this is all new to you, the thing that I need you to understand and listener of the pod, Sydney Law, who experienced Mardi Gras with us, uh-huh. understood, understood what happens in the mind, that you go from watching people throw plastic trash from a moving car kind of to and being like what is what is going on to like you will bury a bowie knife in your friend's chest to get those beads i almost like- fought i almost fought a kindly father this weekend because <laughs> somebody it was it was the bucky's one it was it like one of the Bucky's ones. I, I saw that Bucky's throw. There was like a one Bucky's float. And if you're yep. if you live in Texas, you know what Bucky's is about. And I saw that Bucky's beads. And I even though I was wearing, and I'm not exaggerating, like six-inch platform heels, I yeah. leapt for my life. Fully concussed. Miles had already tried to kill me at this point. <laughs> and I, both me and this guy got them, and then he like wrenched them out of my arm. I was ready to throw hands, and then Connor was like I simply got you one and I was like thank god because I almost oh, got us arrested. <laughs> I nearly got in a physical fight. <laughs> I nearly got in a physical fight for these beads. Uh, but if I told That's you my big amazing. vision and I think this is a good place to end it I had a couple other crews to talk about but honestly like the only thing I'll say is that uh, there are crews that happen on Somdi Gras which is that means Saturday, Fat Saturday so it's the Saturday before Fat Tuesday. Um, uh-huh. So Endymion is one which is the one that we inadvertently got an Airbnb <laughs> with a balcony yeah. like that we got to watch that first night we went in 2019 and Demian so is one of the super crews that's one of the most beautiful um, beautiful parades because it happens at night on Saturday night and it lights up the entire street and then Bacchus is in celebration of Bacchus who is the Roman version of Dionysus uh, and so they always they always create a celebrity king instead of like a member of like the community oh, and really? it's always just the most random celebrity that you can think of it is not like 
like it's not like um somebody who is popular that year usually it is just like the most random celebrity <laughs> no, can I tell you yeah, please let me tell you tell me yeah the actor josh de hamel is uh-huh. gonna be buck as king oh yeah so you exactly know so josh de hamel is gonna be Bacchus this year uh let's see in 2017 it was jim caviezel aka the guy that played jesus in the passion of the christ in 2004 uh, yikes <clears throat> in 2015 it was john c Riley. uh in 20- yes <laughs> in 20 20- i am so here for that one <laughs> yeah in 2012 it was will ferrell which is very fun to think about very uh, good again this one actually is maybe like a little bit more topical in 2010 it was drew Brees, who's the quarterback of the new orleans saints and that was right after that was the first Mardi Gras after they won the Super Bowl and that was the first Super Bowl they won after Katrina so that was like a big deal Drew Brees was like was literally king of New Orleans at that time Yo, in 2014 <laughs> it was Hugh Laurie oh hell yeah Dr. Dr. House. House bro Dr. House was in the house anyway so there are there are newer crews there are super crews that do just like these big spectacles and they get big celebrity guests there are littler oh my crews God, I'm, li- I'm sorry I'm Go living ahead. for this list I know it's so good. <laughs> Nick Cage. Nick Cage If you can find those pictures, can I tell you the pictures of Nicolas Cage as Bacchus are because he loves New Orleans. He he used to own the little Lori haunted house. Here it is. It's coming right now. It's oh, classically underwhelming yeah. from, from every other guy. It's classic Cage. <laughs> oh, I need you to know also that Bacchus traditionally wears uh white. <laughs> not, yeah. not this guy. <laughs> not, not this guy. guy. <laughs> Somebody in our really Patreon chat just it. said, that's Loki. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Elijah Wood, 2004. Good for him. Yeah. So. Amazing. So that is a really, if you can imagine, that was actually an extremely high level breakdown of I, the cruise of Mardi Gras, how it all comes together, some of the racist history behind it, and mm-hmm. uh, how you can go and get your throws if you ever decide to go. Get them throws. You're going to want to get some throws. Get those throws from JK simmons go back in time 2018 get those throws oh, that would be so fun i bet he was a great bacchus I need, I need to, do you know 2020 and i think now we can all really trace the uh, horrific pandemic back to this one event sure that that the the bacchus king in 2020 was robin thick that's so disgusting that's so fucked <laughs> isn't that dark-sided that is absolutely um, dark-sided chelsea can i give you your points please please give me points i would love some points i so enjoyed this topic I felt the recent nostalgia from the weekend and then also our just wonderful trips to New Orleans that we've had together and it's made me want to go back to New Orleans and we're going to have to actually plan it and like have it in the diary oh, should, we, should we have a, should we have a planning go. brunch yes let's have a planning <laughs> brunch but we accomplish nothing I love those <laughs> And I'm simply stalling a little bit while I try and open the Google sheet that contains our score, but you'll never guess what's not happening. I'll never guess. Do not I'm going to give you a full and a round with no deductions. (gasps) 30 points. Damn. I know. That's powerful. Yeah. I just really enjoyed it. Uh, Actually, you know what? Plus a point for Nick Cage and his outfit. I know. Uh, I'll handle the dark prince of Bacchus. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he was just like, what? This is what I'm going to wear. Yeah. No, if you want me to be Bacchus, I will be in all black. That's my signature color. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, if you look, it's, uh, damn. God. 
<laughs> okay, Eleanor, your points. Yeah. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. One, I have to give, and this is important, and I need you to hear this. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give 24 points. <gasps> and it's because of the symmetry. Because. Ooh. So 24 is like, you know, it, it's like three, four, six, and eight. It's divisible by all of those numbers. It's so uh-huh. powerful. So not mm. just the symmetry of Shikowsky's artwork, which is just yeah. exquisite. but I think something so beautiful is happening right now because we are planning on recording two episodes today, even though people are only hearing this one right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I did kind of like a religious thing and you did an art thing. And I think you mentioned that your next one might have a little bit of religion in it. And uh-huh. my next one has art in it. <gasps> oh And my. we didn't even plan that. That's freaky. And that's wild. Now, let me tell you Sound this. Lab, are you with us right now? <laughs> yeah. I have to take off a point for the oh. Yeti rapes. And I think that's fair. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. think that's fair. But I will give... Um, consider that this one... Okay. Uh, I'll consider. Tell me consider something Consider something I'm putting in the Patreon right now. Oh, fuck. Um, it's a landscape if it was a big naked lady. <gasps> Plus five points. That's great. Oh that's really good. I did it! That's so Hell strong! Yeah. Anyway, you, amazing. Way to bring it. Thank you so much. Hi. Hi. You want to take us out? Well, yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of what, because we enjoyed recording it. And have a lovely week. And I don't know, maybe go learn something. Yeah. And if you're Haya, my new rescue cat, who's got a real fucked up face, you might say, <laughs> give me some broth to drink or I'll kill you. Because uh, we've decided that Haya, despite being like a 10 year old lady who's just doing her best, has a real aggressive persona. So she's uh-huh. like, she's like, hey, let me sit in your lap. And if you don't let me sit in your lap, something bad's gonna happen you don't want to see what's gonna happen yeah so in the spirit of Haya, Haya signing off you better listen to this podcast and share it <laughs> or you're, there's gonna be real bad consequences or something's gonna happen something's gonna happen there's gonna be a situation <laughs> something's gonna go on have a good week guys <laughs> yeah.